Well, <clears throat> speaking of things that could not feel less human, hello, universe. I imagine if you're sentient and in any capable way sharing a time reality space similar to what humans experience, well, that would be outlandish. Because it seems like that which we call Humanus Aridus Maximus Insanitus. I just, I don't see why the constant uncertainty, the cosmic conundrums, the inability to piece together anything other than what feel like reactionary and infantile responsive emotional messes. I just, <clears throat> the more I think about it, the more I wonder if a human life can even be fulfilled. I mean, I'm not, and this isn't a depressing moment. Like, I, I, you know, I don't give a shit. What if it can't? Oh, well, there it goes. Still do the best you can, right? Like, whatever's going on that's got you thinking sideways, upside down, or inside out is, is your problem. It always will be. Because what's really true, and what I finally come to understand, is that the moment you're in is yours. To embrace in whatever way you want. You have manifested into the reality of time, space, continuum, planet Earth, 8675309, because of why. Because who you are is meant to be here. Think about this. Why is there even a you? Why did you arrive with a template, a unique one? And I'm not even talking about something like a fingerprint. I'm saying your internal combustion engine chugs its own rhythm, uses its own hybrid fuel, and produces its own mechanical torque and, and momentum by what? It wasn't all environment. You came programmed. From where? How can there be a you? Unless it developed. And how could it have developed if you were just born? Well, there's one of those conundrums. There's a me inside of all this that feels distinctly unique from this shell of human flesh I wear that if I were to wake up tomorrow in the body of Jamie Lee Curtis thinking, whoa, Freaky Friday, Disney remake, I'm sure, part seven, I wouldn't misunderstand what had happened because I'm still intact. 
I'm just now wearing the fabulous 50, 60, whatever year old body that Jamie Lee Curtis wears around. So, where'd that person come from? It's not the me that manifested here because it comes with predispositions that I didn't create through my upbringing, environmental interactions, or activity in the world therein. No. I was born kind. I was born so kind that I really am a sucker for a lot of things. I have come to realize that when people are looking for someone that they can take advantage of, I might meet their mark. And if I don't, then I 100% will catch on to the shenanigans. But my problem is, there are so many high-level schemes and manipulations that I'm just now coming to see I fell for as the easy mark. I was ready to fall for it. Tell me I'm a gifted speller and I will go and learn to spell as many words as you ask me to because I think I have a gift for it. So this is something I'm born to do. Hmm. Tell me I'm worthless. Tell me I'm not up to the challenge. Tell me the measuring sticks of life whereby success is determined. Tell me to stand against those various (laughs) expectations of others. And what do I do? I find a way to fail. I find a way to delegitimize the entire process or find a way to think I can move to the front of the class and be the teacher's pet because this is something I can do, I can learn, I believe in, I have mastered, I brought to the table, isn't even hard for me, whatever the excuse may be. Once in a while, I'm just ready to prove when I'm into it, the sky's the limit. And even when I'm not into it sometimes, you know, it's not that hard to work hard. It's weird how that's becoming less and less of a thing. I stand out in two ways at Home Depot these days. One is I'm the only one in the entire outside area who does any of the required work to bring product from up above down into where customers can find it. In my mind, this is the single greatest challenge a big box store uh, customer service is dealing with the limited space, the pace and quantity of product, and 
keeping it all straight so that it gets to the shelves as product is emptying out. What is created in any snags in that situation are things in the store that are not down on the shelf that a customer comes in to buy and can't find. Then if an employee hasn't the resources or the system in place correctly used intact and properly supported throughout the company to depend on to find that product, well, it can stay lost for years. And one of the only ways to thoroughly vet out what's lost is to go through everything in the department, which is what I'm in the process of doing. <laughs> I mean, if you know it's the work that needs to get done and you know it's the work that hasn't been getting done, and you know it's the work that nobody's going to step up and do. And you start doing it. <clears throat> well, it doesn't take long for people to say thanks. <laughs> because it's a huge undertaking. Nobody wants to do it. And um, it keeps me busy. I don't mind doing it at all. And in fact, once it's done... I'll know where everything in the, in the outside is. I'll know everything to know. So in a way, since they've whittled down the video training dialogues, which is probably smart, let's be honest. Much of that was slept through, literally. So without that to know any of the real like niche uh, offerings, going through the entire... 10, 12, 16,000 items is one way to learn it. And uh, I also, in the two years that I had previously worked there, got pretty good at it. Like, I'm a pretty efficient downstocker. And not only that, but I can retain the number structures to the point that I don't un... Well, it's rare that I overlook something as um, as stockable that doesn't get stocked. Once in a while, I may confuse a stock number and leave six items up above that I could have fit on the shelf. But when it comes to 16,000 items, I probably do that three times. The rest of the time, I am getting everything exactly where it goes or exactly where it should be stored. And what's obviously not going to um, be sustainable because with 15 other people involved, it does eventually go to chaos. I can't fix it all, all the time, but I can fix it once. And it's been, what, four weeks now? And by doing all the worst work, by working harder than anybody else and by setting a standard that if we just maintain our momentum and quit having days where we just fucking don't care, if you just care enough to do the system right, all of us can stop being hassled by the inefficiencies within the system. At least we can minimize them to a great degree because most of them are self-imposed. Well, I say that it's easy to do these things for myself because it keeps me busy. But at some point, 
when nobody else is even starting to get the idea that maybe they too have it in themselves to tackle one of these projects and get one done when I can get six or seven done in a shift? Well, and six or seven's a little bit of a stretch. Let's say three or four, for sure. Some days on the best days, six or seven. But three or four is still a lot of progress. And even if there are 60 to do, three or four means you're gonna get it all done in a month or two. Um, and you'll get it done a lot faster <laughs> if anybody else wants to pitch it. Uh, and today, what do you know? The two people who I thought, and one I'll admit I haven't worked with enough to have a fair opinion of, but one I have, um, well, both of them were doing some of the shitty work. And I thought to myself, okay, it, it just needs to show a little sign of catching on for me to continue with the sort of nobody else even has to do anything around me attitude for me to continue being self-sufficient and a hundred percent, 10 percent all the time. And I don't mean that I'm an annoying coworker who won't chill out and talk at the water cooler. What I mean is if I'm out on the floor, I'm not looking to do the easiest work. I'm not looking to hide obviously. And I'm not looking to, uh, overextend uh, a customer interaction to wander through the electrical department looking at faceplates. Um, the work I do, I try to have the biggest impact for the organization of everything and the service of anybody who needs service and the help of any coworker who needs help. That's it. And that's to me, all you have to do to be one of the top 10 employees because the job's not that hard. And the reason that the job even becomes cumbersome is because it's easy to let little things go. And once you've let them go, then the next person will let them go. And when that cascades across the department, it all goes to shit. And once it's even halfway there, it almost means either we stop now for a full recovery or we understand that we let it go to shit and we're going to deal with it being shitty. <laughs> and that's where they had been for a year, literally dealing with it being shitty. And, uh, and it's, it, it's, it's so weird to me that the world is okay with just accepting C effort work. And so a lot of people have, have said things to me like, we forgot how hard you work and that kind of attitude. Um, and, and what I think is they, they have experienced the store's uh, disruption of COVID, the labor shortage as it's intensified, and frankly, the disinterest of the current hiree. And what I mean by that is there are no people really being hired at Home Depot right now who are so psyched to work at Home Depot because they want to learn paint. No, 
they hope they get paint because it looks the easiest. People are taking the Home Depot job because it's close to home or they think cashier looks pretty easy or whatever. Very few people are signing in to take on the department level work that comes with uh, opening and closing and and running uh, the freight stuff that gets behind. Because in a minimum wage job, no matter what minimum wage job you have, there is never a time when you shouldn't be doing this, that, or the other thing. Because the way they can justify a $15 employee who has no skills is to keep them eight hours efficiently busy. And as the, as the people come in and understand that there isn't time to just lean against the pole and check out the latest, whatever, uh, movie trailer on your phone, it's enough to have them quit. The number of less than one month employees right now has got to be over 60%. And I am sure this is true most places. And I don't even know that it's a a work ethic issue. I don't think it is. I think it's, again, a dead workplace full of people being asked to be assimilated, not uh, 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 enhanced or developed or... um, encouraged as a as an individual the more you can do these things in 100% analytical efficiency the more kudo cards and backpats we're going to say you deserve i i don't know that that's an environment that invites a whole lot of young dreamers to stick around and I don't mean to qualify all young people as dreamers, but between 18 and 28, if you're not dreaming of something bigger than a job at Home Depot, you're missing out on your youth. So the ones who stick around either A, have figured out that they can can handle the stress level of a cashier because the physical level of a cashier is a piece of cake. Or they get into the uh, plumbing department and like what they're learning and learn a bunch of stuff and hang out and enjoy the job. Or they become a lot of tenant who has no motivation to do anything better and makes 15 bucks an hour pulling carts around the lot and decides, what do I got to do? I'm not looking for a job. This is fine. I get to smoke weed in the back, take two breaks and disappear whenever I want to over to Walmart and get a snack. Pretty good job, really. So the trauma that they've all been through in having this transition of staff motivation coupled with COVID, coupled, frankly, with all of them being asked to do more than ever because there's no one else working. It's put them all in the position of beaten down. And I didn't see it at first because it was so good to see people again. But now that I've seen them for a month, I understand how hard their job is taking a toll on their life. All of them. 
And so somehow I'm going to have to change that. Like we got to find a place to be encouraged again, because I, I like the people that work there because I like how hard they work. And I've never felt like I had to think of the three slackers I'm going to work with this afternoon because I'll have to cover all their work. No, there's no such thing. There are people who aren't going to give the job all their effort, but nobody is hanging out doing nothing. The ones who do weed themselves out by the first month. So the staff that's there has always been some of the hardest working people I've ever known. And now they're working so hard that they've come to dislike everything about the gaps that aren't being filled because there's nobody to fill them except extra effort from the employees who are already overworked. And I don't know if I have to go find 50 more people to come work at that store so that we're properly staffed or if I have to find some other motivation to tap to make that store realize how how great they are. But having no answer for that is no problem because it's not really even something that I'm going to be able to solve today. But over the course of my next 15 years, those are the kinds of long-term projects I have to work on. For now, let's get back on track. When I left yesterday, or actually two days ago now, left the recording, I didn't get past, really, my first, well, past college, essentially. And I, my first job was basically one more year of college. I wasn't going to classes. I was teaching one. I was also a resident advisor for a bunch of numbskulls who uh, would do things like tie used condoms to my doorknob. I mean, they were numbskulls. So uh, a year of that was enough. And that was when two of my friends were graduating behind me one year. Having very little to do themselves, we packed a car and moved to Portland. And the adventure was awesome. Like, I always am up for any adventure. But I'm never going to plan what I want to see out of something. I'm just going to always let the adventure go where it goes. So I never even thought about... Well, actually... The whole trip across country, we kept saying things like, well, if the only thing you could do is sell gravestones, would you sell gravestones? I mean, that kind of conversation. So that's how seriously I ever had taken, what am I going to do with myself? So when we landed in Portland, and, um, well, one, one, the motivated one among us, well, Heather was motivated too, but Rick, Rick was, Rick had a job before we got there. Rick was going to sell uh, group packages for the Portland Winterhawks minor league hockey team, and he was going to do the color commentary on the road games on the radio. Had that all set up in week one. Heather, after bouncing around in a couple of, uh, uh, if I remember right, waitressing jobs and maybe something else in there, landed as the art director of the Portland Trailblazers. That was a year in. I was doing not much. <laughs> I mean, my first job, my first job, the only money I made in the first month I was there, I made by um, 
by working at a place that was much like a 7-Eleven. It was called Plaid Pantry, I think, or something like that. I don't remember now. But whatever it was, it was a 7-Eleven. But it was on one of the worst corners in Portland. And this just happened to be like 40 straight blocks away from where Rick and I got an apartment. It was just a bus ride away. So I only applied there because it was easy to get to. And because I wanted to work graveyard shift. I wanted to see what it was like to work overnight. So when I applied for graveyard, they hired me the next day. So I went in for my interview and paperwork and then was going to start the next day, which she's like, I don't want to start you on the weekend. I was like, what do you mean you don't want to start me on the weekend? How bad can it be? She's like, it's a lot worse than it is on a Monday. I was like, well, I'll just work tomorrow. That's fine. So I'm starting on, I think it was Saturday. No, it was Friday night because I walked all the way home on Saturday morning. It was Friday night. I'm supposed to be there at 11. So I show up at five minutes till 11 and the guy that's supposed to train me has quit that night. He's already left. <laughs> so the guy that's staying has already worked eight hours. It is going to stay overnight with me. And uh, he's like, don't worry about it. I do doubles all the time. Well, no, he doesn't. I mean, maybe, but he's, he's asleep at least half of the shift that I'm there. And the, and I only work this one shift, but the, the final moment of, okay, I don't want to do this because it was pretty colorful. There are a lot of shady characters coming in and out of the store, but one of the problems is there was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of prostitutes that worked the corners that were right there. And, uh, and they would use the parking lot out front with their johns to do their business. And we had to go kick them out when they were doing it. So the guy did it the first time. And then some Trans Am Firebird, whatever, pulls in. And he's like, you got to go kick them out. They always take the last couple spots on the, on the parking lot, like at the end of the store. So it's pretty clear if you're coming into the store or just pulling in to get a blowjob. So what do I have to do? I have to walk outside and I can see from, like, I'm, I'm turning left as I leave the store thinking, well, maybe he's just uh, sleeping. And I, as soon as I look over, there's a head bobbing in his lap. And I'm like, God damn it. So I go over and I'm like, you guys got to go. She doesn't even stop. She doesn't even stop. He looks at me, looks down at her, looks at me again. And he's like putting his eyebrows up like, dude, why are you even here? And I have my uniform on, but I don't have a name tag because it's my first night. So, and a uniform means that I'm wearing a visor uh, and a, and like a blue jacket. And I'm like, I have been told to tell you to leave. You have to go. At which point they just finish. She gets up, looks at me. He starts the car. She gets out. I walk into the store couple minutes later she comes in goes to the store uh cooler to get uh orange crush and some goes over to the candy to get jujubes comes up to the counter pays i ring her up walks out the store guy's in the back office fucking around comes outside and he's like so you got rid of him and she came in and got the orange crush and jujubes i'm like uh yeah <laughs> what the fuck are you were you watching He's like, no, that's what they all get. I'm like, what do you mean they all get? He's like, all the prostitutes, they get orange crush and jujubes. I'm like, no, they don't. Okay. 
I only worked there one night, but the next two prostitutes that came in got a fucking orange crush and jujubes. And I was just like, oh my God, this is such a wonderful world. I mean, I hate this. Everything about it is awful. Dude's now sound asleep in the back. And, uh, and when dawn comes and the morning woman comes on, she's the woman who interviewed me. She's like, how was your first night? I was like, well, it was an adventure. It was definitely adventurous. So, uh, what time am I supposed to work again? I was supposed to be back that night at the same time. Never went back. And, uh, and I actually got a check from them. They sent me a check. They mailed me my check. It was like 47 bucks or something. And I, I didn't need it at the time. So I put it in a frame because it was shortly thereafter that my friend Rick was like, you know, um, one of our big accounts is this car rental company that has all these young people working for it. I mean, if nothing else, maybe you meet some people. That's like enterprise rent a car. Never heard of them. And, uh, well, I ended up working there for a little while. Ended up, yeah, ended up doing, doing something that was dumb. I ended up with a felony record, Enterprise Rent-A-Cars, who brought it to me. I mean, brought it upon myself, don't get me wrong. But it involved gambling and dumb maneuvering. But I'll tell that story at some point. And, and I did, I mean, I, again, even that night at Plaid Pantry, I mean, shit, or whatever it was called. I don't think that was what it was called. Maybe it was. I think feel like that's in Boston or somewhere. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, I knew I was only going to be there for eight hours, but I did my job, you know, I was, I was enthusiastic, mostly, even when life's throwing me lemons, I know how to make lemonade, it's fine, I don't even mind doing it, as a matter of fact, I can give myself enough perspective in the situation to enjoy it as almost I'm a character in the role, and while I certainly was adept and even inclined to do that in my 20s. I'm certainly not up to the challenge now. But then, sure, sure. Enterprise Rent-A-Car, why not? Well, that was not my first job in Portland because there was a time where I worked for the Saturn Corporation that came in between. And that led to perhaps the most volatile relationship I ever had in my life. I mean, in my early 20s, I was basically seeing what the limits were, seeing how far I could push certain expectations before they would combust. And the problem is that that pattern continued in my 30s, and it didn't continue into my 40s, but by my 40s, I had made so many fires in my combustible behaviors before that I was really at that point putting out fires and trying to control damage until I just realized I'm not up to it. I don't want, I don't even want to play. I want to get out. And part of that was my, my career at the time because my career, once I had fallen out of everything and didn't want a waitress or bartender do anything else that was food service oriented for another year while well, I reinvented myself as an internet marketer because frankly the career had not even been invented yet 
And I was fascinated by Google's continued refinement of the algorithm, how we were getting this web worldwide access to knowledge that I couldn't believe was all there. If you want to talk about the greatest turn of events I could have asked for, well, hello, Internet. Good to meet you. You're like having the universe all in one place. So, while I enjoyed the back engineering of Google's maneuvering, I did not enjoy another element of it whatsoever. And once I finally walked out middle finger in the air and said, sorry, but I'll never be back, I knew it was problematic for who I was leaving behind, but at the same time, I also knew that if I came in day after day, like I had been, fulfilling this role of expectation that I just no longer had the energy to fulfill, well, there would be a messier outcome than just severing ties and leaving people upset. Or so I always thought, because boy, does that sure describe most of my breakups. All of this is because never did I feel attached to work. Because I always approached what I was going to do as work from the wrong angle. The reason I can sustain myself at Home Depot is because I genuinely help people all the time. I helped at least six people today. Maybe ten. And when you count coworkers, it's up in the 20s. And I also am helpful because of the mindset that I'm constantly firing on to the people around me more than ever. So I'm building the momentum back to go out and find my purpose in the world. And I already know how this is going to unfold, but I know that I need certain resources and foundational stability to attack the problem as the the ultimate chase of a better world for myself and everyone around me. And never have I ever been less than ready to go until I understood that some planning, forethought, and resource development can go a long way to sustaining an operation that's just getting off the ground. Usually, I would have made some ghastly error in not accounting for what needed to be accounted for and then lose sight of all the things that mattered and eventually just give up. But we're not going to do that this time. So, doing what I do at Home Depot doesn't matter. It's not the step that is going to find any kind of fulfillment for my life. But it is foundational stonework. And I used to know this kind of stuff. And somehow I lost track of it. I lost track that there's a lot of life building that you can get into that is just going to be foundational work. Appreciate it. Know that you're building something strong for yourself. Know that when you get into a position where you're being challenged, you'll have something you can rely on. 
And know that if you always find places where you don't get pushed too far outside of who you really are, I don't think there's a job that you can get that won't push you a little bit. But as long as you're aligned with your true self as you work through your day, well, I know that for me, that's that's something I had never taken as baseline. And now that it is, well, I'm a whole different person at work. I like getting compliments because that means people are at least aware that I'm working hard. But I'm not working for compliments. I'm not working for recognition. I'm not even working for, for the <laughs> opportunities and 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 development of my job prospects within the company. No, I'll be happy to just be a grunt in the garden department for the rest of my life. Happy, 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 happy. In fact, what I really want to do is take this attitude once I've fixed this garden department and say, okay, I want to go work in your Trinidad store in Southern Colorado. Can you recommend me down to one of their departments that could use somebody who can just work through and do what I did here? And then keep doing that from store to store to store. And where I'm going, I'm going to just start meeting people. You know, here I am to offer my kindness, forgiveness, and understanding to whatever it is that is going on here in which that's necessary. And I'm going to travel across as much of this country and world as I can find the motivation to go. And when I land somewhere that I find there's better purpose than just spreading the word that we're all too wound up, we're all too self-critical, we're all too harsh, we're all forgetting that manifesting as a human being is a miracle, and you chose to do it. Now, why is it all fucked up? I don't know, but we can fix it. So don't get discouraged. Don't even get dissatisfied. Always find a way to win. Because you're human. Therefore, there's always a winning path. There's always a way to be exactly who you are, manifested in this reality, and the greatness that associates with realizing both of those in, synchron in synchronicity. The universe offers that. The question is, will you embrace it?